Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, along with former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, so England's second string dominates Ireland in the second ODI. We'll ask what that result means and discuss the performances of Sam Hain and Will Jacks, amongst others. Jimmy Anderson has reportedly been offered a central contract for another year. We'll discuss that and the news that some players have been offered up to three-year deals and Hampshire all-rounder Liam Dawson joins us to reflect on their magnificent final day victory over Essex, which has all but given Surrey the county championship title again. We'll also look back at the other county championship action and hear from the England international Sam Billings. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Our regular listeners, Harmy, will know who the invisible man is. But Sam Hain is no longer invisible. He makes his long-awaited England debut and um, looked like the Sam Hain that Warwickshire have known for, for many years as well, didn't he? He was very good. So was Will Jacks um, and a few others that we'll mention. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to see England's second string get a chance to showcase in front of a big crowd. I thought it was a yeah, because it's Ireland and I've been shouting for Ireland as well to be sort of brought in to play more meaningful games. I thought that game is absolutely spot on. You know, England against the England main side, Josh Butler, Johnny Besto alike, possibly is a is a lot harder for Ireland. But Ireland playing against players that played for England this in this in this series, it's a closer to a level playing field. And one of them was somebody that we've been shouting for for quite a while, Sam Hain, who should have been in Bangladesh. Um, but England decided to go against taking an extra batsman. And he, he, enough showed that he um, he's not visible anymore. His first scoring shot, run down a wicket, belted it over the top and thought, here we go. This boy has got, he has got talent. Uh, he's not, no, he's no world beater uh, of, you know, of, of, of sort of Ben Stokes, Josh Butler alike. But 
I think given the right um, right chances and the right opportunities, I think along with the likes of, of Will Jacks and you know, Zach Crawley, who you know he ended up on naught, but I think he captured the team very, very well. I thought it was an exciting day for, for English cricket because we had Ahmed ball well, Potts ball well at the top, Cars got a few, few runs in the middle. I think all in all, it just deepens the pool of players of England's white ball unit, which is getting obviously bigger, better and a lot stronger. Tell you what, I wouldn't mind uh, forming a relationship with Rian Ahmed's googly. It's a beauty, isn't it? It's a beauty. I think there's a few few island batters wouldn't mind a relationship with it as well. If you couldn't see it, I don't mind play it. Didn't pick it at all. Um, I can't remember who the left-hander was. I think he, he had two cups of tea, read the paper and still got nowhere near it as it come looping down and then just 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 nicked away from him. It was, it was a beauty. And that is another... I th- that's another positive for me, even more positive probably than anybody else was was Rian Ahmed because because of what's made England's white ball unit so good over the course of the last ten years is our ability to bowl spin. Mo and Ali and Adil Rashid, two of England's greatest cricket ambassadors um, for the culture and for for English cricket and the way they live their lives and the way they've played their game and the way they've dedicated themselves to play best standard possible for England and not getting any younger. This will be their last World Cup. We need to find somebody that can bowl like Adil Rashid. And Rian Ahmed is slowly but surely coming of age. And yeah, I thought he bowled beautifully again yesterday in, in that second ODI. Andy McBrien it was who yes. um, had a wry smile on his face. He did, didn't he? He knew he'd been done. Uh, it was very, very good. And just quickly, we need to talk about contracts and Jimmy Anderson as well in this in this section. We've got a lot to get through, but got to have a, a a quick chat about George Scrimshaw, who um, I understand is a very popular lad on the on the county championship circuit. You know, Derbyshire don't get uh, too many representatives um, with the national cap, and. His first 11 balls cost 35, Harmy. He bowled four no balls in his first over. And it just looked like it. his debut was going to go so horribly, horribly wrong. And, of course, you know, it finished, as you would hope, a very, very positive experience for him. He finished with three for 66. But he was in pain. He was in pain. How many mothers who were watching do you think wanted to go and put their arms around him? <laughs> Yeah, never mind mothers, I think fathers as well, former players, somebody who's done it many times before in the man sitting on the end of this microphone. Um, he looked so nervous, but hey, he come through it. That's the beauty about it. Didn't die in a hole, didn't walk off the field with an injury. It affected him big time and it will affect him. Um, I've got no doubt of that and I'm speaking from experience. But for him to get through the overs, to get three wickets and to come through the other side of it, he'd be a stronger cricketer for it. Talent's there, no problem at all. But with Kupiris, obviously height he's got. He just looked very, very nervous. And for somebody who bowled, I think, 12 wides at Lilac Hill, somebody who bowled a hell of a lot of wides in one day in the national cricket, I was always told by my captain, well, I was always demanded by my captain, Nasser Hussain, if you drop your pace, you'll not bowl, keep it up. I mean, you're in the team to take wickets. Um, and that was the instruction I used to get. And that obviously the instructions that George got that, you know, he had to keep his head up. Whatever happened with his front foot or bowling wides, you just have to take that in your stride. But as long as you're in with a shout of taking wickets, that's what you're in the team for. And I thought he did that well by the end of his end of his spell. So good on him for coming through it. He'll learn a hell of a lot from it. Um, and he'll be a, not only a lot of better cricketer for it, but he'll be a better person and stronger person inside for the challenge that he's just gone through. 
and next time he puts that England shirt on because I've he will play a game for England, no doubt whatsoever. Two very obvious ones for you. Jason Roy declining the opportunity to be a reserve for England's World Cup squad and Joe Root not playing that game that he wanted to, the first ODI, because it was washed out. Neither a surprise or a concern for you, I suppose? No, no concern at all. Um, I understand, Jason, I wouldn't have gone. Not having gone through what I'd gone through with England in, at the last at the last minute. I think all parties are better at this moment. Jason can go off and contemplate what's next for Jason Roy. England can take a batter who will be not, I don't think, as good and destructive at the top of the order as Jason if somebody does have to come in. But I think they take somebody who's got full focus on giving it to the team. Um, and I don't blame Jason for going, and no should, no should anybody else. Um, Joe, it would have been nice for him to have a game at Headingley, get some runs in his home patch, but he quit going to India. This kid's the best player in the world of spin, arguably, of anybody. So from that point of view, I've got no problem with Joe going in. He's not going in rusty. He's Joe Root. He's got nearly 12,000 test runs. He knows how to bat on spin and p- pitches. He'll be fine come 4th of October when New Zealand go at uh, Ahmedabad. Okay. And 41-year-old Jimmy Anderson has been offered a one-year extension or a one-year um, central contract by England. Really interesting that uh, six or, or even seven players have been offered as, as much as a three-year contract, Ben Stokes, Harry Brook and Mark Wood amongst them. And um, fascinating that uh, Gus Atkinson began the summer not being able to get into the Surrey first eleven, and he's now been offered a two-year central contract along with Josh Tung and Bryden Cast. Looks like England there planning towards the next Ashes. Um, the whole contract situation is really fascinating, isn't it? Um, neither Overton brother has been offered one. Ollie Stone didn't get offered a contract either. But no incremental contracts as well. So, I mean, the, you know, things are shifting. I'm always just slightly uncomfortable about a board trying too hard to control its players. If they're not thinking we, we need to control them, we need to have the final say over what they can and can't do, then... I, I, don't, I don't know, Harmi. I mean, I, I just, like, and there's reports that some players have said no. Yeah, there is some reports that some players are going to say no. That's up to them. For me, from an ECB point of view, having control doesn't mean they can't play. And that's the thing I think people have got to get their heads round is Rob Key is going to give what he sees a central contract to the players who are going to go and play against Australia in Australia. And they're the ones that are going to get three-year contracts. The ones that are going to get two-year contracts, they're going to build towards their, their feel as though they're the, they're the ones that will make the the other five or six seats on the plane to Australia. Now, you have to have control of them. The rest of it, I've never believed in incremental contracts were any good anywhere because what's the point of giving somebody a little contract just to have your control over them? That doesn't work. It really doesn't work. I think there's mixed messages with the player, mixed messages with, obviously, ECB and mixed messages with the county. And I think what happens with a, a compromise is nothing nothing good comes out of them. So I'm pleased the incremental contracts have gone. You know, reward the player for what you want them to be. Jimmy Anderson, yeah, I, I've got no problem with Jimmy having a, a, a year's contract. He's going to play for England if he's if he's fit. You know, he didn't have the best ashes, he, granted. But forget the 41 bit. He just didn't have the best ashes because he didn't bowl very well. Jimmy will be the first to first to acknowledge that, and but Jimmy will want to want to tell everybody. Yeah, you know, I'm still as fit as I, I was. I'm still as hungry as I've ever been. 
I've seen Jimmy a, a few weeks ago. I was with him up in Scotland and I was having a go and taking a mickey out of him as usually I do. Yeah, you know, 41 year old, what are you still doing? You know, why why are you not why do you not go off with your mate? And he, and I mean it was a simple answer. He looked me in the eye and he went, I still love playing. And that was it. As soon as he said that, I was like, don't have to convince me anymore. He said, I just still love playing. So I love getting out of bed in the morning and trying to be better. And that was in a that that was me trying to take the mickey out of him and him trying not to be as serious as what he wanted to be because we we're having a beer over dinner. Just said I love playing. And that was it. As soon as he said that, I thought, yeah, I've got no problem because I know he's gonna be fit. I know he's going to be durable. I know he's going to turn up. And when he's more often than not, he delivers. So he deserves a contract if he's not, if he's not obviously going to retire. So the big one is the, the three-year one. And the three-year one, I think if I was a bowler and I was offered a three-year contract by the ECB, you've got to take it. You've got to take it because of what comes with the contract. We've got to get away from looking at the money returns. It's this. It's the the stability that them contracts give you from a medical point of view, from uh, your pr- uh, plan and preparation and your programs point of view, for your balance of family life, time away, and everything like that. Then the money comes on top because you learn the money because you're playing for England. So I think that is something really, really important for why England are looking after these players for two and three years. It doesn't mean they can't play in the IPL. It doesn't mean they can't play in franchise tournaments. But Rob Key, Brendan McCullum, Matthew Mott will have the final say on whether they go and play in them tournaments if they accept these deals. I think it's good for, for English cricket. And that's the most important thing. Forget throwing money at it. Forget you know, trying to control players. Control what you need and then give permission if you feel that you and the player can come to an agreement that there's no cricket on. He goes off and plays and he earns whatever money he can earn off the back of it. So common sense approach for me. Uh, you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. All right, let's talk Surrey, Harmy. Uh, it was uh, many months ago where Surrey had to dig deep and, as I said at the time, get their hands dirty, which <laughs> is not necessarily the way that they won the, the championship last summer. But they had to do it again, didn't they, with Northants desperately trying to, to force a victory and dominating Surrey at the Oval, forcing them to, to follow on, which was, um, again, <laughs> makes me laugh when Surrey have to get their hands dirty because I associate them with this kind of regal march to the to the title. But um, no, they followed on. And Rory Burns and Dom Sibley, well, Sibley was in his element, wasn't he? 67 of very many deliveries. But Rory Burns did it as well. They So they, they, they dug deep and um, they forced a draw. And with... Hampshire's extraordinary victory over Essex. It looks like Surrey are going to retain the title, which is something we thought might happen five months ago. Yeah, I think Surrey were always nailed on to to take the title as much as Durham were going to take the title in the second division. Um, but I do, I, I do recall coming back from uh, Darren Goff's golf day, rang our cricket editor, John Norman, who was in the middle of the biggest panic attack ever, sitting, sitting in the office, I think, watching the scores at the Oval going... We're going to have to follow on here. I can't believe we're going to throw it away. We're going to have to follow on. John wasn't a happy bunny at that point. So, yeah, sorry, I've got the best team. So we've got the biggest budget. But you still got to win. you still got to get over the line. you still got to beat everybody or get more points than everybody else. I think Gareth Batley, Alex Stewart, they've done a, a wonderful job there. Amalgamating a group who can you know, win, a, win on, on a lot of fronts. They've, they've got a hell of a lot of players down there. You've got to make them happy. And Bats and, and Stewie seem to to have, have done that. But I think there was some nervousness around the Oval late on Thursday and early Friday when 
the wheels were coming off a little bit and it looked as though yeah, Essex were doing all right against Hampshire at the time. And then obviously Hampshire came on the blind side and, and, and dominated the latter part of that game. So, yeah, no question that Surrey were going to win in the league for me. And uh, it's just a case of um, putting the, the final touches into it on the last game of the season, which will be deserved champions. Surrey need five more points to win the title. And Will McPherson of the Daily Telegraph, who normally has his finger very close to the pulse, if not on it, uh, he is uh, speculating that uh, Will Jackson and Jamie Smith could both miss the third ODI against Ireland in order to play for Surrey, which um, I suppose, you know, if you look at that England squad, I mean, it is a it is a, an opportunities squad, um, you know, the number of debutants there. There are a couple of players who can fill in. And, and I guess, I don't know, I mean, you know, Surrey taking precedence over, over England? Another common sense approach because the both boys have played a lot of cricket for Surrey over the course of the county championship this year. I remember in 2009, I came back into the England team against Australia uh, for the last three test matches. But my big thing to the selectors was that once the, you know, whatever happens at the Oval with four games left in the summer, I'm going back to play for Durham because I've got Durham in a position. I helped get Durham in a position to win the championship and I'm going back to win it. No matter what squads you pick for further down the line, what you see in the future and resting for whatever, I'm going back to play for Durham because it's, it means a hell of a lot to me. So it'd be interesting the, the the feelings of the two lads. Well, they probably want to go back and play for Surrey because they've worked so hard all pre-season, all you know, getting plans and everything in place to go and win the championship. And they've played a lot of cricket in that championship, potential title win that they might want to go back and play. I would let Jacks go. If I was England, I'd, I'd probably want to see Smith for a little bit longer in England. I'd leave the ball in his court, but I would I'd encourage Smith to play for England. Jack's has just got 90. We know what he can do. He's closer to the England red ball team and white ball teams than than what Jamie is. I might just want to see Jamie Smith just for that one more game, that third game, even though I'm probably going to see him in the Caribbean over Surrey. But I think if both boys say, I want to go back and win the championship, then I wouldn't stand in the way because of the amount of cricket they've played for them. OK, let's look at the other end of the table now. It's interesting that it might all come down to bonus points as to who goes down. Um, North Ants, I think, are condemned now. But um, Kent and Middlesex, Middlesex lost to Warwickshire and, and were well beaten there, no contrivance required. But um, Middlesex and Kent, just one point between them. Um, now, I wouldn't be surprised if there's rain around you know, at the end of September. Kent are on 99 points, one ahead of, of Middlesex. And, and you know, it could come down to getting out onto the field for for 30 overs and, and trying to force a bonus point. Like Mark Butcher, our commentary colleague here on TalkSport, is vehemently anti-bonus points. He said they should, just shouldn't exist. They're complete nonsense, absolute nonsense. But <laughs> when there's a point in it and relegation's at stake, you, you do whatever you have to. Absolutely. And with Butch, I don't think point, bonus points should come into it. You should just have a win and win and a loss, win a draw and a loss. That for me is would be the way to definitely be the way to go. When you look at bonus points, you've got to think Middlesex have got no chance. They've only got two batting points all season, 13 games. So when if you look at the table, they've got two batting points and and, and 36 bowling points. Kent are five, you know, they fed a little bit better. They've got 16 batting points. We've just talked about Jamie Smith and Will Jacks going back. A certain Zach Crawley's got a couple of big hundreds for Kent so far this season. If you're director of cricket of Kent, are you not going, well, if Surrey can have them two to win the league, 
can we have our big player at the top to try and stay, get us to stay in the league? So there might be some interesting conversations to the director of cricket, former former Kent captain Rob Key. So yeah, it could be an interesting you know few days for Rob that over the phone, which he decide which players go and which players stay and play for England. I think the England captain will probably stay. But I, I look at this and go, can't see Middlesex getting out of it. I really can't. I think Kent are the ones who will probably get more more bonus points. And like you say, if there is a rain around, then you know it could come down to the small margins of them extra points that Butch and one or two other former players don't like when it comes to the um, the amalgamation of point totals for a win, a lose, and a draw. So, yeah, for me, I think Kent will will just scrape out of this. Um, probably because if they get to 250, 300, that means Middlesex, off the back of what they've done so far this season, might have to go and win their game. So I think Kent will be the one that just gets out of it. And final word about who might replace them in uh, Division 1. We have absolutely got to get Ashley Giles on this show, especially if Worcestershire are promoted, as it looks like they they will be. But, mm. but, but what a story. I mean, it just... A couple of months ago, it looked like Worcestershire were a sinking ship when all their big rats were jumping off it and signing up with Nottinghamshire and, and various other, Josh Tongue and, 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 and a number of others. And yet they kept winning. They're, they're shedding all their best players. They kept winning. And now it looks like they're going to be promoted. It's an amazing story. It is an amazing story. The, the good thing about it as well, as well is that the players who are jumping off the ship they kept they kept playing and they, they, they performed a bit. So I think you you've got to give the guys who are leaving Worcester for whatever reason, you know, financial or you know, I can't imagine being a better team because some of them are going to counties who aren't in the first division. So Worcester will be in the first division next year. They're going to recruit well. I've got no doubt. Ashley Giles will recruit very very well, and they'll have a struggle next year. They really will because that first division next year with with Durham going in now and potentially Middlesex, Northampton or Northampton and Kent coming down. There's all there's going to be a lot of test grounds in there with some financial resources to um to sort of move first class cricket forward, which is which is great for English cricket. I think it might be tough for, for Worcester when they go up, but look, you can't praise them enough for what they've done this year. With everything that's going on externally, internally that group has gone and performed and you've got to give the boys a huge amount of credit for that. Um, but it'll be interesting where Gilo, what Gilo does say about it, because I know an Ash as I do, he's a very forthright guy with opinion. I'd love to get him on at the end of the season when the dust settled and he can let them players go and he can build for the first division um, and start recruiting for that challenge to, to stay in. You know, Durham are going in the, second, in the first division, I think, to go and try and win it. I think Worcester yeah. are going to go that division to possibly just compete and try and finish third bottom and try and stay in it. And that's no, I mean, that with all due respect to, to Worcester. Durham have got a team who I think can go and challenge Surrey at the top end of the league. And um, and, and that was that makes it more exciting because we'll have four or five teams now, top end of that first division, that championship. And we'll give Surrey a good run for the money. But yeah, fair play to Worcester. I thought they'd be magnificent this season on the field. I just wanted to give a final word there to Durham because it obviously depends on form and fitness and more importantly, England call-ups. But Durham at full strength, I'd love to see them against Surrey at full strength because I honestly don't think it's a great deal between them. No, I think that's it's, it's nearly a test match if you if you look at it. If you put the whole the whole lot in, <clears throat> what you want 
an ideal world, you want the Surrey-Durham game at the Oval the, the 10 days before the first Test match next summer because then the likelihood is they'll be, they'll be all playing. You know, the IPL lot will be back. They'll be going into Test match mode, trying to get some red ball cricket under their belt, and that will be a, a mouthwatering proposition. You know, Durham to have, if they, if they could get Stokes and Wood for one game, can you imagine? The overseas will be, will be good for Durham next year from a Boland point of view. Um, if they can get them across the line, you have Wood, Cars, Potts, obviously Stokes, Beddingham, Lees. Uh, it's, uh, that's a strong, strong Durham side to go to the Oval if that game was to come off. So memo to the ECB, can we pencil in Durham versus Surrey at the Oval at 10 days before the first test of the summer? Because I think that might that might get some views and that might get some YouTube hits on your ECB YouTube site because there's going to be some big guns playing in that one. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Um, next up, as promised, we'll be joined by Hampshire hero Liam Dawson following his match-winning century this week. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any other show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Delighted to say we're joined now, as promised at the top of the show, by Hampshire's Liam Dawson, who played a starring role in a fantastic victory, 267 fourth innings run chase and just over 58 overs. 
and uh, 119 from Liam, 89 from James Vince. And uh, Liam, you said after the game that um, it was one of, or if not your favourite ever championship win. And I'm just reminding myself that, astonishingly, you made your debut 16 years ago um, and you've played 189 or 190 first-class games. So to single that one out as one of your favourites, wow. Is that still how you feel? No, without doubt. I mean, we've. I think we all knew going to Chelmsford is is always a tough place to, to go and win. You know, we know that conditions are probably going to be in favour of, of Simon Harmer in the off-spin, so... To go there and beat them in in chase, I think two six seven on the fourth day on a on a real spinning pitch um, from the footmarks was was an outstanding effort. And it ended Essex's chances, albeit maybe outside chances, of of, of winning the championship themselves. Yeah, listen, we went there wanting to win, um, and obviously we want to win next week against Surrey. We want to try and finish second and, and as high as we can and and play, you know, Surrey and Essex, two of the the best teams in the division. So we want to try and beat them, um, and that was the end going to Chelmsford and. That paid off and we'll be trying to do the same next week against Surrey. What did you think of the declaration, um, Essex's declaration? And and also, what, what did you think when you were 26 for three? Well, we knew we knew going there that, you know, Essex would probably have to try and force the game and, you know, having to try and sort of match Surrey's result or better their results. So we had an idea that at some point in the game that they would try and force the result. You know, and we have done exactly the same from their position. So we sort of knew that there was always going to be a result there and, yeah, when we were, I think we were thirty for four. Actually, <laughs> it was looking out. It was looking likely that the, you know, it was a good decision from them. But as I said, we, me and Vince, he managed to sort of negate that period of of Harmer when the ball was spinning a lot and sort of get a partnership and gain more belief really that we could actually do it the closer we got. I'm going to ask about your own international future in a moment, but you mentioned James Vince. I don't know how long you've been playing with him. It's got to be a dozen years at least. You must know each other very very well. He's another player who given that it's an unusually strong period for England, England cricket, I mean, he, in another era, he, he'd have had 50, 60 chess caps by now, wouldn't he? Easily. He's, he's probably one of the best domestic batsmen, if not the best in, in the country. And not to have played more for England is, you know, it's incredible how he hasn't. Um, you know, I think if he'd have got the opportunities that some others have got and sort of have been stuck with, then, you know, his test record would be, you know, as good as anyone's. Um, but he's probably been a little bit unlucky that, he never got that run in the side consistently like like some have. So, yeah, obviously disappointing that he hasn't. But as I said, he's, he's brilliant that he can play for Hampshire and, and play with him every week. He's so good. You've had an astonishing season, almost 800 runs at, at almost 42. That's good enough by itself. But you've also taken 42 wickets at, at 22. So I'll ask you about the, the tour of India in, in a moment. But when Jack Leach went down before the Ashes, I mean, you were still the obvious replacement for many, many people. So I know that nobody's got a bad word to say about Mo and Ali, and, and he might have been the sentimental choice um, and, and, you know, did fine. But how, how did you feel? Did you feel that you deserved a look in? Listen, not test cricket for me he hasn't been on my radar for a number of years now. I've not expected to play. And it's, again, I didn't expect to play when Jack Leach went down, to be honest. Uh, I wasn't expecting anything. Um, so to me, it is what it is. Um, I've said to many people now that playing for England isn't the be all and end all for me. I just want to enjoy my cricket and that's what I've done this year and I think that's why I've done so well. I'm not worried about playing for England or anything like that. I've gone out there and just tried to have fun and I think that's one of the reasons I've done well this year and as I said, playing for England isn't the be-all and end-all for me anymore. Cricketers do tend to get boxed, don't they? And you're for a supposed white ball specialist, those numbers are ridiculous. 800 runs at 42, 300s 
this season and, and 40 wickets at 22. You've got to be thinking about going to India, maybe, haven't you? Oh, listen, as I said, I've already signed in South Africa for the uh, South Africa T20 comp uh, with the Sunrisers. So that's what I've got in January at the minute. If things were to change, I'd have to decide what decision I want to do with that. Um, but as I said, I'm not expecting to go to India at all. I'm not expecting to play for England. I've signed in South Africa for the SAT20. So that's that's on my radar now for January. It's funny how we have this expectation of of all first-class cricketers that, that they must automatically have this ambition to play for England. But you, you sound like, I don't know, you're just mitigating against disappointment because... Should we should we stop plugging you? I mean, your record demands that you go and be part of that test squad. Uh, listen, I'm, I've played enough cricket now, I've, and I'm very realistic that when I've been around a lot of squads, especially white, but not and not played that much, so I'm very realistic about where I stand with England, and that's why for me playing for England isn't the be and end all because I understand that I'm not always involved. I'm, you know, you don't play for a few years, or and that's you know, county cricket for me is what I'm always going to play. So that's what I enjoy doing. Being around England squads is great, but you want to play. So I don't look at playing for England as the best thing anymore because I'm very realistic. Over the years, I've not played much in, and I've been in a lot of squads and run a lot of drinks. And for me, I just want to play cricket and enjoy it now. Apart from if my memory and my research aren't letting me down, apart from apart from a, like a month loan spell many years ago to Essex, you've you've been with Hampshire, part of the Hampshire furniture, since you were about 10 years old. You must be hankering to win one of these damn championships you keep coming second desperate that's you know that's a, a huge drive of mine and a huge drive of well all of the club really is to try and win that win the championship and yeah we've been close to the last couple of years this year we've obviously not been that close to doing it even though we can still finish second but yeah I mean that's probably the only thing that you know me and Vincey haven't done at Hampshire we've not managed to win the four-day competition so I think that's a massive drive for both of us to do that and we have a big amb- ambition to do that in the four-day game Going back to your relationship with Hampshire, it was interesting to hear Alex Stewart, the director of cricket at Surrey, talking about about the changing relationship with with players who want to play in more and more franchise competitions around the world. He says, you know, but they they want to come back here and and use our physio and use our nets and use our facilities, and but then they want to go and play in the Pakistan Super League and the Caribbean Premier League and the SA Twenty. So I'm really interested in your perspective as a as a lifelong Hampshire man, um, and then you're not a T20 freelancer like some some cricketers are, are becoming. But how do you see that dynamic, that relationship changing? I think it's a really tough one. I, I can understand the county's view on it. Obviously, if you if you're playing in the winter and you're coming back injured and you're missing the start of the summer, then as one of the main players, you that your county are losing out. But it's, I think it's got to be a very fine balance, especially for the you know, for the best the best T20 players now, that they can sort of pick and choose when they play. So I think counties have got to be a little bit careful with that. If they want to try and go down that route of not being happy with players coming back and, you know, using the facilities if they're injured, then they might have to accept the fact that they won't bother playing county cricket and, you know, and, and playing other leagues around the world. And, I'm, you know, this I'm speaking for the best players here and the top players. So I think that's something that the counties have got to be very wary of. And But hopefully it doesn't get to that and, Hopefully there can be a, a fair balance struck between between the counties and the players, which I think at the minute is fine. Could be that the top SA20 or the top T20 players have to become like like a top golfer or a top tennis player and appoint their own physio and their own coach and their own masseur and, and travel around the world with this entourage of 10 people. You never know. You know, cricket's changing massively, isn't it? I mean, there's there's more money coming into the game. There's more tournaments and... 
listen, I think this is this is for the best players, the top T20 players, you know, not the people that sort of play a couple of leagues a year like myself. It's not going to affect me. But for the for the best players, yeah, that, that could probably come into the game is, you know, in a couple of years and a few years down, down the line. It's, it's staggering to think that you've been a professional cricketer for almost half your life. Do you still wake up with the same enthusiasm? Are you still loving the game? I do. I, yeah, the last sort of three or four years, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it always helps when you're playing in, in a good team, especially at Hampshire. We it's very rarely we don't compete on all formats, um, so we're always we're always playing big games. We're all playing, we're always playing in you know semi-finals, quarter-finals. So yeah, that, that I think that drives you. And as I said before, my biggest drive now is to is to try and win the championship for Hampshire. That's something I haven't done, and that's something that I really look forward to every day. You know, trying to go to training and, and playing the games is. Is hopefully before I finish, I can do that. So that's a huge drive for me, and that's you know I still love playing the game. And transitioning the new generation, the next generation of Hampshire players, I'm thinking Kyle Abbott, Keith Barker are both 36. I guess that you know the wheel keeps turning, but you seem to have got a lot of years in you now. You'll you've been one of the senior pros for for ages, but you'll be the the senior pro soon. Yeah, as I said, we're we we are very realistic, especially our bowling attackers. Is an aging group, as you said, with with Carl and, and Keith. They, you know, they're they're not getting any younger, any younger. But I think they know that. I think the club know that. But as I said, we've we've got a great bowler in John Turner coming through, who's young. Disappointing that he missed out on the the T Twenty squad when he with his side strain. So we do have bowlers coming through. Brad Will obviously was has done really well, but he had a stress fracture, so he's still young. He's coming through. Um, so yeah, we've we've got sort of a progression to replace those bowlers and. If that doesn't work, you can always go down the overseas SEMA route again, like we've done for the last few years. So we've got people that can step in. And as I said, hopefully in the next few years, we can we can win the championship. Finally, finally, uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to ask this, but are you on standby for the World Cup squad in case of injury? Well, when I spoke to Matthew Mott, yeah, that was the that was the conversation that I had. So, yeah, let's see what happens. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside two-time county championship winner Steve Harmison. And a reminder, for a full review of this week's county championship action, you can listen to the latest edition of Following On County Cricketer. Now available on the Following On podcast feed. Right, a roundup of uh, the week's other stories. Harmy, I couldn't help wondering uh, whether Essex denying speculation that uh, Sir Alistair Cook is set to retire at the end of the season was actually perhaps the knight himself, Sir Alistair, not wanting any spotlight at all, no. not not wanting to take any attention away from any other aspect of the game. And if he has made his mind up to call it a day, I suspect he would rather do it in the in the middle of November, or the, uh, I suppose the World Cup's going on there. But he, he'd, he'd want to pick a really quiet time, wouldn't he, just to, to bow out without any fanfare? Yeah, I think he would. I think I think Jimmy Anderson and, and Sir Alistair Cook will retire, <clears throat> would, would like to retire in a similar way. Walk off the field for one last time, walk into the press room and go, by the way, lads, I'm done, see you later, and just go off. I've had that in conversation with Jim, and I was like, Jimmy, don't think, one, you should be allowed to do that, Two, I don't think the public will allow you to do that because of what you've done for the public and the great cricketer that you are and Sir Alistair is uh, or has been. Um, so for me, I think as much as Cookie wants to to go off for no fun, like fanfare and fuss, um, unfortunately, I think the PNSX public want to say thank you for what's been an unbelievable career. And, and Jimmy are the same when he goes. 
the whole country will want to say thank you for what for what they've done. And I was there at the Oval when Sir Alistair went off into the sunset against India. And you could see he was slightly embarrassed to raise his bat for that one last time. And everybody was giving him a cheer. But unfortunately, you, you have to recognise what fantastic cricketer, ambassador, person you are um, and say thank you in their own way. And Cookie will have that this week. Rightly so, deserves it. For me, he's been one of England's greatest ever cricketers. And we're going to lose three in a year because by the time Jimmy eventually goes to lose Broad, Anderson and and Cook in the space of 12, in a 12-month period. That's three of the greatest cricketers we've ever had in one, in one generation, and that come from one generation. So no surprise that he's doing it. I think it probably is the right time for Sir Alistair to bow out. Um, but I think there'll be a lot of people at Essex this week wanting to give him the send-off that he deserves because he's been a great servant, not just for England, but he's always wanted to go back to play for Essex because he loves playing, he just loves playing the game. And that has been evident to see because... He's been out of Test cricket three or four years now, and he's always gone back and scored hundreds for Essex. So fair play to him and good luck to him. Um, we know where he's going. You know, he'll do a little bit on the commentary. He'll do a lot on the farm. And um, Alice gets her husband back, and the kids get their dad back for you know for twelve months of the year, or for nearly twelve months of the year now. So you know, you know I, I love the kid. Charlie's my son's godfather. I can't speak highly enough of. Forget the cricketer. I can't speak highly enough of the person. He's a wonderful human being. I'll never forget many years ago um, when Sean Pollock was uh, retiring and he was saying no to a number of activations. And there was the final game was at the Wanderers. And uh, he said, I don't want any fuss. I don't want any fanfare because they were talking about driving him around so he could <laughs> wave goodbye to all these people. And he said, I can't be doing that. I'm not interested. And this brilliant, brilliant administrator just <laughs> ripped the shreds off it by saying, Sean, it's not about you, you selfish yeah. sod. There's 30,000 people come to say goodbye to you. Absolutely. Yeah. There might not be 30,000 people at, at, uh, at the Essex game, but <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people in, in and around Essex will come out for that one last time to say thank you to one of England's greatest. And indeed. Right, let's uh, now look ahead to the start of next month's Cricket World Cup and ahead of the tournament in India. England batter Sam Billings has been giving his thoughts on how Joss Butler's men will fare this time around. Massive challenge in India, huge home advantage for them, so I see them being really strong side. But um, yeah, for me, it'll be an England-India final. And yeah, kind of what a spe spectacle that'll be. So I'm backing the boys to go all the way, to be honest. Old prediction there. What do you make of the Jason Roy news, though, being dropped from the squad? You know, such an influential player. I think uh, if, if you were to look at that side, probably in the last five, ten years, it's, it's as hard a side to get into in any sport in the world. So I've been on the end of that as well in terms of those selection dilemmas. Um, the depth in white ball cricket at the moment for, for England cricket is phenomenal. So, um, yeah, it's really tough on him. He's a great mate of mine and, and one of the best players that England have kind of had in white ball cricket. So, um, yeah, it is tough. But if you look up and down that side with the players, the quality they've got, uh, ben Stokes, obviously, and Harry Brook coming in. Yeah, it's a pretty tough side to get into, like I said. And Darren Milan is obviously the man in form. So uh, it's, a it's tough on Jason, like I said, but very hard team to get into. That's what I was going to say. You mentioned the depth there and some key names. Is there any other one who springs to mind who is going to be that pivotal player? Yeah, probably. I mean, Josh Butler is probably the best player in the world uh, in terms of white ball cricket. So uh, for me, yeah, he's, he's definitely... Um, 
pivotal if, if England were going to go all the way. Um, I think Liam Livingston as, as well. He's someone who's probably gone under the radar a little bit. Got a brilliant 95 a couple of weeks ago, but um, Cersei hasn't scored the runs that he knows he can. But um, when he comes off, he's as good a player and as explosive as anyone. So, um, yeah, we've got we've got quality up and down the order. That was uh, Sam Billings uh, talking to Sonny Snelling. Um, lots of um, uh, squad news from the 10 teams, uh, Harmi. Hassan Ali has been uh, recalled to the Pakistan team. That, but what's really interesting to me is that a lot of people are saying, oh, South Africa picked six fast bowlers. But if you have a look at all the other squads, most teams have. I mean, if you like even India mm. have got have got five quick bowling options. Um, so people saying, that, oh, it's in the subcontinent. Uh, it's going to be a, a spin frenzy. All the pitches are going to be dry. And it's not it's not not the case mm. at all. It's an ICC event. Um, They want the games to go as long as possible and have lots of close finishes and lots of runs. Um, They'll be overseeing pitch preparation. Local ground staff, of course, will be preparing their own pitches, but the ICC will be there. And we've seen how good pitches can play in India during the IPL. So uh, I think, you know, even England, like South Africa, without Ben Stokes as a bowling option, they've also got six quick options. So um, big, big news for South Africa, though, is the withdrawal of Anrik Norkia, one of the world's fastest. And he's not necessarily bang on the money with accuracy in it. But, you know, he, he bowls 150 kilometres an hour, he bowls 90 miles an hour. And that could have had a, it, well, he's an X-factor bowler. Yeah, and then, but I think, man, as the middle period of these games now are going to be, I think, utilised by fast bowlers. For me, England, I know he didn't bowl that, that well in the second ODI, but... For me, Bryden Cost, that's why I would have took Bryden Cost because I see him as that Liam Plunkett role in the middle period. That is going to be more important than spin. I think you might see spin in the power players because I think now players, they're not frightened to spin. They just caught it with they just run down the wicket and whack it out of the park. These boys hit it so far now. And the bats that they've got now are, are so light that they've got great big bat speeds, even when they don't hit it, still goes out of the ground. So spin might be even though we're in India, spin might be utilized even less or utilised in power play and at the end because they're expected to hit them out the ground. But So I think in that middle period, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the seam bowlers are utilised a lot more. And I think because that factor, you've got to be quick. You've got to be quick. You can't bowl 85. You can't even bowl 85 mile an hour. You've 83, 84 mile an hour. just gets whacked. So that's why teams want their fast, fast bowlers or left arm options to give them something different in that middle period. So for me, that's a huge blow for South Africa. I actually think South Africa will go all right in this World Cup. They'll get to the business end, whether they've got whether they're good enough under the pressure at the at the box end, which is the, the sort of knockout stages, that might be just one World Cup too early for for this South African side. Now they've lost Nokia. I think that's a massive blow to them. Rabada will be Gigisa Rabada, who's up there with you know one of the four or five best fast bowlers in the world. He'll do well. I fully expect. But Nokia, for me, that weirdness actually helps in 50-over cricket mm. because he's pierce. And if you, you know, I, I was I always, always make the joke, if I've got no idea where it's going at 90 mile an hour, what chance has he got 22 yards away? And he's trying to hit me out of the ground. So for me, that, that X factor that Nokia's got, I think there's a huge blow for South Africa. This is what uh, the South African captain Temba Bavuma had to say as the South African team left Johannesburg. Andrik is a, is a big loss. I think we all share in his disappointment and emotion. 
I guess, missing out in his second 50-over World Cup opportunity. But I think, again, like I said, you know, with Quinton being almost like his one song, there's also that little story of Andrich as well, of guys not forgetting, you know, that we've lost one of our big cogs, but making sure that we keep him at the back of our mind in everything that we do. And if we can, do try to do something special for him as well. That was South African uh, captain Temba Bavuma. I still think spinners will play a big role. And uh, mm. just a quick word on New Zealand's Ish Sodi uh, in the second one day internationally in Bangladesh. That's uh, very much a, a B team for New Zealand out there as well. But I think Ish Sodi will, I think he's very underrated actually. Um, and he, he bats as well. And just an amazing, amazing performance. He scored 35 when New Zealand were in re- big trouble and then took six for 39. The best figures for a, a non-Asian spinner on the subcontinent as uh, Bangladesh bowled out for 51. Uh, so he's you you just always, you always have to look at the black caps, don't you? You do, but man, as he just keeps getting left out. Yeah. Every time he does well, in the, it, it, it's a hard one. It's a bit like the Sam current conundrum. I, I keep going, I go, right, right, I want him in my team. And then you, you try and work out your game plan and how you go and you eventually get Sam to number 12. It seems as though Ish Sodi is that. Is that can we get a batting all rounder in? Can we get a bowling all rounder in? How do we play two spinners? Right, uh, off can't get Sodi in. He's going to be number twelve, and it just happens so many times. Even in when we were in New Zealand, the Test matches, we're on the field before the games, talking about what's going to happen and everything goes. And there's Ish Sodi with a with a mitt on and Blair Tinkler's bowling, and can't remember the other big lad's name who he bowled as well and played, got a game in front of him. And he's a lovely lad as well, Ish Saudi, and he came over to England, did all right when he when he played, but again, he seems to get left out. I don't think he's going to get left out in the World Cup, and I hopefully for him, because he's a good, he's a great lad, he'll perform and do well, and he's off to a good start in Bangladesh, which is uh, will give him confidence going into the World Cup. Okay, it's that time of the week. It's the final word, and our final word this week goes to Sue Redfern. Every single time that we talk about a landmark for for women cricketers or the women's game, I always cringe slightly in thinking, is it really taken this long? But Sue Redfern is one of those officials who has aura, and she always has. Every time she's umpired uh, a game, she just oozes control, calmness, and aura. And she'll become the first female to umpire a county championship game when she takes charge um, of... um, the Glamorgan versus Derbyshire game, the last uh, game of the season. She said it's uh, always been an ambition of hers. Uh, she, of course, has too much class to say that it, yeah. it should never have taken this long. But <laughs> she's brilliant, isn't she? Yeah, and a lot of people would have said, it's, it's, how's it taking this long? Um, yeah, she's brilliant. And again, just to sort of back up what you're saying there, she looks as though she's got time with decisions. And that, for me, as an, as an umpire, and we're only talking split seconds. We're talking about, you know, one second, two seconds, which sometimes when you you what you appeal and you want an umpire to make a decision, that's a long time. But it just looks as though she's in total control of emotions, what she's doing, and where you know where the game is is going. You know, and that for me, when you're an official, where in any sport, when you watch officials, you watch top top officials. They've got so much time with their decisions, and you watch Sue Redfin, and she does, um, and it's brilliant to see. Um, massive congratulations! Hopefully, she's not the first, she's not the last that does get onto the onto the roster. Because when you stand as an umpire, you have same eyes, you got same emotions, and you make decisions to your best ability. 
And to be honest, it doesn't matter who that is. As a, as a player, you just want the best person. So, yeah, it's great to see the ECB recognise Sue onto the panel and fingers crossed she's not the only one. Next year, I think she's on for a, is she on for a full year next year going forward. So that for me is, it will be classed as a landmark, but it shouldn't be because what you want and your officials is the best person for the job. And Sue is definitely up there with one of the best umpires in the country at this moment in time and she's going to make I hope yeah, first class debut, which is great. And fingers crossed for next year, she gets a full year at it. And it doesn't become the one woman in the man's game. It just becomes an official. A colleague of mine asked the question about whether umpiring bowling at unaccustomed speeds might be a problem. In other words, if she is accustomed to fast bowlers bowling at at 70 miles an hour and then suddenly they're bowling at 85 or 88 miles an hour, will she be rushed? Um, She's not used to that. But I just had to make the point. I said, mate... Umpires practice just like cricketers. You know, they they go and stand in nets. And Sue Redfern has stood in men's nets for years and years. So I don't think that'll be a problem at all. No problem at all. Alim Dai used to do that to me, and he used to it used to right I used to get right on my nerves because <laughs> he used to tell me before I was these guys. Do you just point? I'm like, am I right to stand here? Uh, yeah, 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 no worries, Alim. I'm not going to say no because you're going to help me in the five days that I'm going to play. In. And then he'd look at me and he'd go, "Are you still?" Close to the front line. It's net of practicing. I'm practicing. <laughs> Get stuffed. Do one. I didn't have the heart to say that because if I did, he wouldn't give me any official, any any decisions that are 50 50 in the game. So putting them up nicely, me and Marion got on really well. But you're right. Preparation is everything in sport. No matter what you do, whether you're a batter, bowler, fielder, or you're an official. So the speeds at the bowl at, I've got no doubt Sue Redfin will be fine the minute she steps on the field in a first class man's game because she'll have done her preparation and she's the best person for the job. Good luck and congratulations from everybody from TalkSport because it goes down as landmark, but it shouldn't be. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with a full preview of uh, this year's Cricket World Cup. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.